16. Let's begin in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 25 and 26 as we begin this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you again today as a church. Lord, we want to honor you. And I pray that as we study your word, as we study this story this morning, Lord, I pray that your word will speak into our lives. And I just pray, Father, that your spirit will guide us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through Luke chapters 1 and 2 the last few weeks. We're kind of skipping ahead this morning, and we're looking at Simeon, and we're also going to look at this character named Anna. Next week, we'll go back. We'll rewind a little bit, and we'll, we'll look at the birth story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. But this morning, we're, we're looking mainly at Simeon. And that verse we just read from Luke chapter 2, verse 25, tells us that Simeon, he's righteous and he's devout, but his life's action... He's waiting. Uh, the NRSV, which I read from, said he's looking forward to the consolation of Israel. But the NIV and other translations say that he's waiting. Does anybody have a translation that says that? He's waiting for the Messiah to come. And somehow the Holy Spirit has revealed to Simeon that he will not see death until that happens. So we don't know how long he's been waiting. We don't know if it's been months. Probably not. Years, probably so, maybe decades, maybe longer, but he's waiting. We don't know if there's been times where he thought, you know, what am I waiting on? Should I give up and just go home? Am I making a fool of myself? We don't know. But we just know that Simeon is somebody who is waiting on the Lord. That's not something that's a strong suit for us as Americans, is it? We don't like to wait. That's why somebody invented the microwave, uh, I, I don't like to cook, I don't like to wait on food to be cooked, so I just pop something in the microwave and then it's ready. Or if you have to send something in the mail, and you're not using email, but you're actually physically sending mail, we call it what? Snail mail. Because it's too slow for us. You know, we, we FedEx things and UPS things because we want them to get there overnight. Or if you go into the grocery store, how many of you like going grocery shopping? I don't like going grocery shopping very often, but if I do, when I'm checking out, guess what lane I choose? Not just the shortest, but I go to the express lane. You ever have like 25 to 30 items, and it says 20 items or less, and you think, well, these could be counted as one, so I'm going to say that I'm 20 items or less? Studies have been done to discover what lines that Americans hate waiting in the most, and it's always grocery store lines. You know, if I'm in the grocery store and I have one or two things and there's somebody in front of me with a cart that's packed full, I'm just fidgeting and I just, I can't stand to wait. We don't like to wait because we're used to having everything given to us instantly. We don't like waiting at the doctor's office either. The average wait, for the most recent study that I saw at a doctor's office, is about 24 minutes if you go to the doctor. The larger the city, sometimes the longer the wait, depending on where you're at, who your doctor is. You know, my daughter was sick earlier this week, so I took her to the doctor, 
And we were waiting so long, I eventually went past those forbidden doors that you have to have a nurse take you past. And I just said, what room are we going to be in? And she just went ahead and put us in a room. Uh, we had waited for so long, I just feel like at some point there's a cutoff point where we all say, okay, I'm not waiting any longer. The average wait in an emergency room, as of a few years ago in the U.S., is four hours and seven minutes. Maybe that sounds like an experience that you've had. At a cardiologist's office, someone discovered that they kept having to replace the chairs, but the only spot in the chairs that were worn out were the front edge of the seat and the front few inches of the armrest. So what that indicates is we don't like to wait, so we sit at the edge of our seat fidgeting, grabbing tightly those armrests because we don't like sitting there and waiting. That's why I stopped going to Six Flags. I haven't been to Six Flags since I was in high school because you wait in these lines for an hour and a half, two hours, and then you ride a ride for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and it's over. So I just thought, well, I just won't come anymore because I just don't like to wait. A few months ago, we went to the Yamboree in Gilmer, and my daughter wanted to ride one ride. We told her she could ride one ride because they're too expensive. There's this little dragon roller coaster that she's ridden before at the Titus County Fair. So she said, I want that one. So we decided that's the line we'll wait in, that's the ride she'll ride, and then we'll leave. We waited for an agonizing 30 to 45 minutes with kids everywhere bumping into me, cutting in line, and we got to the front of the line, and they said, sorry, you're too short, and they didn't let her ride. (laughs) How disappointing, right? You know, sometimes you wait, and it doesn't pay off. But if you're like me, for a lot of the big things in life, the times where I've waited, that's been some of my greatest blessings. So you know the old saying, good things come to those who wait. There's been opportunities in my life or, you know, relationships or job opportunities, whatever it may be, that I didn't choose the very first option. And I thought, you know, I don't know if other options will come along, but I'm going to wait. Because this doesn't feel right. And sometimes when we wait, great blessings come as a result. And Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, he is a man who is waiting. That's his life action. He is a model for us when it comes to waiting. And surprisingly or not, God does not move at our frantic pace. But maybe God feels like there is something to be gained by waiting. We're always on the go. We're busy. We have to-do lists. We have a lot going on as Americans. But God doesn't always move at our pace. And sometimes we just want God to get in line with our pace. But I think what God is urging us is to slow down and to operate out of a deeper center, one that's rooted in Him. And that's what we see in Simeon. So let's start in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 and following. We'll kind of backtrack just a little bit. We'll go through this story. So Jesus is born... Uh, They circumcise him, and then they're going to take him to the temple in Jerusalem. Mary is going to purify herself, and then they're going to offer an offering, a sacrifice. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 12, I don't know how well you can see that on the PowerPoint, but in Leviticus chapter 12, it tells the lamb that you're supposed to take into the temple and sacrifice. But in Luke chapter 2... In verse 24, it says that they offered the offering of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And the reason they don't offer a lamb is because they offer the poor man's offering. 
If you can't afford a lamb to sacrifice a lamb, then you take this second option. Why do they choose that? Because Mary and Joseph were poor. Last week we look at Mary and Mary's song, and one of the highlights of that song is that it's a great reversal that's taking place. And Mary mentions how God has been mindful of the lowly, because Mary really was lowly, just a poor young person from an insignificant place. And their sacrifice even highlights that that's who they are. So then in verse 25, this is where Simeon comes onto the scene, and those are the verses we started with. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's waiting to see the Messiah, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and that's been promised to him by the Holy Spirit, that he is going to see the Messiah. So this is the the dawning of the Messianic age. He's not dead yet, so he hasn't seen the Messiah, but he's about to. So somehow, somewhere inside of him, Simeon is prompted by the Spirit to move over to where Mary and Joseph are. And he comes and he takes Jesus. He takes this baby into his arms. And he's going to offer his own song, his own blessing. Uh, Now, I used to, when I would read this, I would think, if I was Mary and Joseph, I would be thinking, who is this guy? Who's this crazy person coming and, gra- and grabbing my child? If you've ever had a baby and you brought him to church and everybody wants to hold your baby, and if you're not careful, you look up and it's your baby's somewhere else in the auditorium or maybe outside because they've passed it around to so many people. And, you know, maybe that's what Mary and Joseph were thinking. Like, who is this guy grabbing our child? But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe it's not that uncommon. You see, in our culture as Americans, not only do we not like to wait But one of the things that we value the most is youthfulness. We want to look younger, feel younger, and we value those who are youthful. But in this culture, they would have valued wisdom. So they would have valued someone like Simeon, and there probably would have been common interaction between the two groups. You see, just like ancient Israel, just like the church today, faith communities are always great places to have meaningful relationships across all generations, to promote intergenerational relationships. Uh, Here at Pine Tree, we have these seven commitments, and our second commitment is about us being a place where we are full of hope and joy. And one of the sub-points under commitment number two is that we will promote intentionally meaningful relationships across all generations. And we see that throughout the Old and New Testament, that at the synagogue or at the temple That was a place where many generations would come together and be united. Okay, And that's important for us today as well. In fact, there's few places in our society where you can be in a place where there's common intersections between multiple generations. And that's important to us as a church, is that we form relationships across all generations. And we see that with Simeon coming up to Mary and Joseph and taking their child, and offering his blessing. And then we see this is Simeon's song in verse 29 through 32. He says, Master, speaking to God here, he says, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. 
So this is Simeon's song. Zechariah had a song. Mary has a song. Now Simeon has his own short little song. And he starts by saying, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. The word that's used there is the same word that a slave would use when he was asking to be freed from his master. So Simeon says, you can dismiss me now. He's saying, I'm ready to die. I've seen the Messiah like you've promised. I've waited this whole time, and now I've seen him, and I'm ready to go. And he praises Jesus, and he mentions salvation, not just for his own people, not just for the Israelites, but salvation for Gentiles, for all nations. He understands, he sees the big picture, the big part of the plan where the salvation that this baby that he's holding that's going to bring is not just for those who would go and worship in the temple who would call themselves Israelites, but it's for everyone. And Simeon sees that. So that's his song, but his blessing is not over at that point. In verse 33, we see that Mary and Joseph, they're amazed at what's been said about him. They marvel at these things. And then Simeon turns towards Mary in verse 34 And he gives what I would call a cryptic blessing. I don't think he was meaning to be discouraging in any means. I think he was just being realistic. Preparing. I think the Spirit was working through Simeon and he was preparing Mary for the journey that she is on. He says this in verse 34. Simeon blessed them, said to the mother Mary, The child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the hearts, the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. It's a cryptic blessing. Uh, He's telling Mary, there is a pain that is coming. There is joy, but there's also pain. One of my favorite authors is a man named N.T. Wright. And he tells a story about a time around Christmas time where they had a Christmas service at their church. And when the service was over, uh, someone came up to him and said, he's an atheist. And he said, now I see why you Christians love Christmas so much. It's about a baby. And a baby threatens no one. And everybody loves babies. And he said, so this whole thing is just one big happy event that means nothing at all. And N.T. Wright said he thought about it, and he thought, this guy doesn't know about Herod. He doesn't know that Herod was so threatened by this baby that he had all the other babies under the age of two in Bethlehem killed. This guy doesn't know what Simeon says to Mary, where he says, this child is going to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel People will oppose him, speak against him. He's going to reveal the inner thoughts, the hearts of many people, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Another author that I really like is a man named Philip Yancey. Some of you have read his books. Yancey says that often the call of God comes with two edges. One of great pain and great joy. When Mary in Luke chapter 1 says yes to Gabriel, I'm the Lord's servant, be as you say, that Mary is the first person to take Jesus at his own terms. 
regardless of the cost. So when Mary says yes, sure, there's going to be great joy that comes along with this, but there's also going to be great pain. And Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Which I believe Simeon is prophesying, he's speaking into the future about the cross. Because he knows that this child that's born, what the Messiah means, what the Savior means, is that eventually there's going to be a sacrifice. And eventually there's going to be a death. And eventually the mom, Mary, is going to be at the foot of the cross witnessing this. A man named Brennan Manning tells a story about his friend Ray. They grew up together, best friends, went to boot camp together, joined the army together, and they even went to war together. And one day they were sharing a foxhole together, just sitting around talking about the good old days, and they were eating chocolate bars, and then all of a sudden a live grenade came right over to where they were. And Brennan said that without even thinking about it, his friend Ray looked at him, smiled, dropped the chocolate bar, and jumped on the grenade. He gave up his life, but Brennan's life was spared. Many years later, Brennan Manning had gone to visit Ray's mother, and they were reminiscing about Ray, talking about the good old days. And for whatever reason, Brennan said to Ray's mom, do you think Ray really cared about me? And that really irritated her. And he said she stood up out of her seat, she threw her tea down, she kind of got in his face and pointed at him and said, he gave up his life for you. you know, what more could he have done for you? And he said in that moment he had this epiphany and he thought of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he thought of someone saying, do you think God really loves me? And he said he could just picture Mary saying, he gave up his life for you. you know, what more could he have done for you? Mary is told by Simeon that that day's coming. That a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's going to be pain that's involved with saying yes to God. And now Simeon can be dismissed in peace. He has said his blessing to Mary and Joseph, to Jesus. And we don't know what this blessing does for Jesus. Jesus never knew Simeon. Maybe he hears about this story, but he never knew him. He's just a baby at the time. But here's a word, speaking of multiple generations coming together at this point for this conversation, just a challenge for those who maybe are of older generations. And that's a challenge for myself as well, because younger people view me as someone in an older generation. But be a blessing to those who are of younger generations. That's what Simeon does. He sees this couple in the temple, and he wants to bless them. Yes, some of his words are difficult to swallow or difficult to hear. But he doesn't start with that. He starts with the blessing, he starts with the praise, and then he tells them the difficult thing, but he wants to bless future generations. And I think we should have the same desire. If we're not careful, we can be too discouraging to younger generations. Our desire may be too strong to want to correct someone without letting them go on the journey. But if you go on the journey alongside of them and have that relationship, there will be those opportunities to really speak truth into someone's life. But be like Simeon or be like Anna who we're about to read about. Find ways to bless those who are younger than you and younger generations as we form and continue 
Relationships across multiple generations. And then there's Anna. Anna in verse 36 is a prophet. We don't know much about Anna. We just know she's a prophet. She's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And it says she was of great age. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow to the age of 84. Some versions say she was a widow for 84 years, depending on how the translation is. But we know that she wasn't married for long, and that she was a widow for many years. And she's in the temple. Verse 37, it says, She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. So I'm starting to pick up on a few themes here in Luke. First of all, we see that Anna is probably very similar to Simeon and that she's waiting. We get that impression. She's in the temple day in and day out. So what's she doing there? She's worshiping, but maybe she's waiting like Simeon is because she knows something's going on. Maybe she knows Simeon and she knows why Simeon's in the temple. So she's going to approach Mary and Joseph and Simeon and this baby, and she's also going to praise God. But another theme that we see in Luke is the character of the people that God chooses to work through. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, now Simeon and Anna. They're righteous people. They keep the law. They're devout. I, I would like to say they kind of have a raw faith about them. Anna's in the temple day in and day out, worshiping, fasting, praying. She has just this raw faith that God is able to use. So she comes up to the parents. She began to praise God, and she began to speak about the child to everyone, about this redemption that's coming for Jerusalem or for Israel. So she just starts spreading the word. This child is born. This is exciting. Great things are coming, and she also leaves her blessing on these parents, on Mary and Joseph. She's also one who is waiting, and she just stays faithful. So what's the word for us? We see Simeon, we see Anna, we even see Zechariah. Look, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, where the 400 years of silence is broken. Well, what does that mean to us? Do you ever feel like you're waiting for something? And I know... With all these people in this room, you know, I can just sit in your seat and picture different situations, and I don't know what's going on, but I know there's a lot of different things going on in your lives right now. For some of you, you might be waiting on a job. Maybe some of you, are, you just graduated from college, and you're trying to figure out where you're going to go, where you're going to live, what career you're going to take. Some of you are looking for a job to support your family. This is the holidays. Some of you have grown children who have been pretty rebellious and they've been wandering off and you're waiting for them to come home. Some of you during this time of year, as we've mentioned before, your anxiety spikes, you're stressed out, and you're waiting for a time in life where everything just calms down. Some of you who are parents are waiting to check your bank account until after Christmas is over to see how much is left in there. We're all waiting for something. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you're waiting for someone to come and to heal your marriage. Maybe you're just waiting for an answered prayer or for something to go right in your life. 
Some of you are waiting for the doctor to call back with the test results. We don't know how long you're going to have to wait. I don't even know what you're waiting for. But as one of my favorite Christian authors, John Ortberg, says, we don't know how long we're going to wait, but what matters is who we become while we're waiting. Who we become while we're waiting. Do we become more and more impatient and selfish and frustrated with God and frustrated with others? Or while we wait, while we live our lives and maybe wait for that answered prayer or for that call back from your doctor to hear back about that job, whatever it may be, while you wait, are you becoming a deeper and more faithful person? Or are you becoming more impatient? It seemed like Simeon and Anna became deeper in their faith. As they waited, as they worshipped, as they fasted and praised God in the temple, they were connected deeper and deeper with God, and they just knew. It's like Simeon just knew, I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. And he was okay with that. He didn't know how long he was going to have to wait, but he knew that day was coming at some point. But unlike Simeon and Anna, sometimes I find myself waiting, but really waiting is just another form of procrastinating. Does that ever feel like you? I'll give you a personal example. Life is busy, stressful. There's a lot to do. You come home at night, and if you're like me, sometimes your family gets the worst side of you. Your tired self. Your frustrated self. And sometimes I think, you know what? I'm going to give more to my family, more of myself as we get older because things will calm down. So I'm just waiting for life to calm down a little bit. But as I was studying for this lesson, I realized, you know, that's not me waiting. That's me procrastinating. I'm putting off this development stage of my faith, of trying to become more Christ-like in all areas. And I'm just using using waiting as an excuse for that. So sometimes we legitimately wait and we develop our faith, but sometimes we use waiting as an excuse for just procrastinating. For both Simeon and Anna and Zechariah and Elizabeth and everybody else in Israel, whether they realized it or not, Jesus was the fulfillment of their waiting. And it's the same for us today. Sometimes that answer may sound a little cliche, like, oh, he's just saying Jesus is the answer. But whatever you're waiting on in life or whatever you're procrastinating for, one of the things we read about in the scriptures is that Jesus is the fulfillment of what we are looking for, of what we are waiting for. Jesus is that fulfillment. This morning, uh, Tony's going to lead us in a few more songs. And one of the things that we always mention is that You could come up front, we offer an invitation, and I'll be up here, one of our shepherds will be up here with me, and we'd be glad to receive you, speak with you, pray with you. If you're ready to become a a follower of Jesus, we can point you in that direction. But one of the things we also offer is we have six shepherds in this church. Some of them will be scattered around the building, some will be in the back. And if you need a private issue, if you need to speak with one of our shepherds, or pray with one of them, or maybe set up a time to speak with them further, this is a good opportunity to take advantage of that today. 
And we're going to ask that you stand up and we're going to sing a few more songs.